This is the one with not mum. Also not mum. A stormageddon in a teacup. A persistent sense of spiritual emptiness. An overly curious George. And Cybermen buried underneath a whole heap of silly bonding. It's called Closing Time. Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel sound. Dalek Cyber Zood and wow. Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or dog past. Right, you bard, get out of my pub. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> this episode is N086, closing time, and I am one of three hosts tonight, namely Drew Back When, excellent branding, if I do say so myself, and sitting opposite me is... Leon, hello there. Oh, <laughs> I kind of, I'm kind of opposite too. <laughs> Roughly opposite <laughs> me. Diagonally opposite. Oh. Less opposite me, with less of a sense of spatial awareness, is Jim! Hello! <laughs> and inappropriate timing. Hey! <laughs> and that closes our introductions. So, Are you uh, saying you want to just get on with this? Well, I've got wind that you two oh. share an opinion of this episode. Oh. Do we? Do we? We might. We'll have to find out. Pretty what? soon, I guess. Oh, how coy you'll be. Oh, I'll happily let you know right away. I'm not overly keen on this episode. <gasps> Leon! Well, okay, we are in sync. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've clearly just in Timberlake gone solo because I, I love this episode. Really? Wow. Bits of it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's find out which bits after a B-scow. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The cultist outlet of the Sanderson and Granger department store is suffering from a series of electrical problems. If only Britain didn't have so much wall-to-wall talent overloading people's eyeballs, maybe someone would notice that people are busy disappearing at the same time. Meanwhile, the Doctor's on one of his shorter farewell tours of recent years and has rocked up to see one of the few friends he made whose life he didn't ruin, lovable schlub Craig Owens, to see if he can finally complete the set before his time's up. Now, Doc Craig and Stormageddon, Dark Lord of All, are in a race against time we need for foreshadowing to get this mystery wrapped up so that Levin can make his appointment with death at Lake Silencio tomorrow. Biscow over, you are welcome. <laughs> Aren't you just? Right. What could you possibly have against this episode? Bad use of Cybermen. Oh, I don't, James I... Corden. Oh. Well, see, we have already reviewed one James Corden we, episode. We have, and yeah. we both really enjoyed that one. Yeah, you gave it a 4.1, and I gave it a 4.6. Yeah. Jim, what would you have given that first James Corden episode? The Lodger. I actually remember enjoying The Lodger. Oh, yeah? yeah, exactly. So it's not James Corden per se. That no, well, to. he does. <laughs> he does annoy the hell out of me. But I think I had misremembered, and maybe I was remembering this episode. Ah. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> which you apparently remembered correctly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know how in The Lodger, James Corden and Matt Smith had chemistry. Yeah, it doesn't quite fit in this one. And you know how their dialogue didn't seem stilted. Yeah, it's pretty stilted. <laughs> you think? You think it's? Yeah, absolutely. 
Matt Smith has more chemistry with Alfie. Sorry, Stormer Griffin. Matt Smith is notoriously chemistramatic with children and or babies. We remark constantly whenever someone under the age of 18 appears about how Matt Smith is on their level and conversing with them and making their interaction seem entirely natural. Probably more so than with adults because he knows that he's the star. He doesn't have to share his ego time. Apart from... The children at the end of, well, towards the end of this episode. That's well, re- yeah. The three yes. kids who just creepily stare at him. The three kids whom a grown-up creepily <laughs> approaches. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't mean three kids. You mean the three childlike mannequins impaled on spikes, swaying softly <laughs> in the wind. Yeah. With their heads at inhuman angles. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's not one of the bits I loved. No, I mean, they should have morphed into another monster and we should have just rolled straight back into another episode. Like, that should have been someone attacking the Doctor, not them kind of going, oh, and he seems so sad, but I felt like he was a nice guy. Okay, question about these three kids. Why and to whom did they give their witness accounts? Why did someone document their opinion about this strange dude? You know who it is. It's the guy from Love and Monsters who is still trying to track down the Doctor and he's getting all the eyewitness testimony he possibly can. I can't remember what his name was from way back when. I know what you mean. The guy who went toe-to-toe with the Absorber Lab. He was into yellow. Yeah, and had the secret club of Doctor followers. That's exactly who's doing it. But how did he even find out about this? Post on Gumtree. Bing bong, future Drew back when here. Did I mean subreddit? Probably. Bing bong. Loads of people see the Doctor. These three happen to know each other. One of them saw it, they alerted the other two, and they were like, here's a fellow weirdo we can interact with for 20 minutes. I haven't spoken to a human in years. Let's do this. <laughs> so we have skipped majorly to the end here. Yes, but, we have. Which I, I don't mind. But So it's River that's looking through these... The these, witness of these, testimonies, yeah. yeah. And we've heard the voiceovers, but she's looking at what looks like a case file. Yeah, that's my point. But what case files... She, the Doctor's murder case files. She's, she's working back from the She's coin. in the future, isn't she? So this is something that's been recorded and easily found in the future, isn't it? Because doesn't she get her degree and become a professor in a totally different time frame? Oh, really? Does she? Yeah, I reckon so. Yeah. Who I'm knows sure. when? I'm not so sure because there are present-day US Marines that come into the room with her spacesuit. Are they? Aren't they? Are well, they not? Possibly, but aren't they all time travellers? I mean, River isn't from Earth at all. Well, That's I suppose true. She's, she's from Amy and Rory. She's TARDIS-born, so she's anywhere she wants to be in space and time, essentially. See, I wasn't sure if they looked more like the military that were in the Good Man Goes to War. Well, the Kavarians lost. That's got to be it. That's got to be the oh. best answer we can foist onto this episode. They, that definitely makes more sense. But didn't they... Uh, maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like they were wearing space marine clothes. I think it was all kind of downplay military. It wasn't particularly sharp uniforms. It was kind of... Practical so, nonsense. It was, well, no, it was strangely comfy sort of camo gear. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, in that case, this checks out perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with you that the whole foreshadowing Moffat envelope to this episode is one of the two worst sequences in it. What's the other one? Well, the other one is... Well, are we done with this one? Well, no. We can, we can no. circle back. Yeah, okay. okay. We will have to, because I still have questions. Yeah, I, I feel like we should go through the, yeah, the rest of it and we can come back. This to is this. a teaser for later on this yeah, episode, yeah. ladies and gents. The other one is where the face is fusing and the doctor's going, Craig, I believe in you. Just love your son and it'll all work out, right? 
Good, good. I'm <laughs> love glad you said your that. son as much as you loved your flatmate in the previous episode that featured you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Cool. Circling back. Circling back. All right, let's put a pin in this. Question. So did Amy Pond become a model in Colchester? No, she's a nationwide model. She just happens to be in Colchester on some sort of promotional engagement. Is she really, though? Is she really? I feel like she's there shopping. Yeah, she's just there shopping. She lives there, presumably. Or lives nearby. Or knows someone nearby. So that's where the doctor bought their house and their E-type jag and set them up with a house? In Colchester? Oh, I don't know. He just know. dumped them in Colchester. What's wrong with Colchester? Nothing. And You've I'm ver- never been to Colchester. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but they have no connection to Colchester. Why would he have set them up with a house and a car in Colchester? So he can easily slap across from Craig's? Yeah. And the Doctor loves a bargain. He went on right move. He was able, <laughs> with his massive Time Lord brain, to compute all the deals in the country at once. Best one was in Colchester. Okay, fine. He just bought up a street. They're, yeah. they're actually like neighbours but two, you know. Because <laughs> Craig's moved. Maybe he had it so that Craig moved down the road from Amy and, ah. Amy and Rory. I feel like this might be stuff that... <laughs> well, I mean, the Doctor's not, not really in charge of his own destiny, is he? I expect the TARDIS did it for him somehow. It telepathically made him do it. So yeah. that his next adventure would be that much more accessible. Okay, can I change my question a little bit? So Amy Pond became a model... By the way, at first, I thought the child was asking for an autograph because she'd been in a shitload of Marvel movies. And I was like, <laughs> she hasn't done that yet. That's years away. But no. Yeah, I was thinking maybe similar to, I think, characters that we've encountered previously on, on Doctor Who, whereby maybe Amy and Rory co-wrote these kids' books about a madman in a box or something like that, and that became a success. And now he is this small child who looks up to her J.K. Rowling. Something mm-hmm. to that effect. But instead, this is a girl who wants an autograph from a model who features on a billboard in a Colchester department store. Well, she, I assume she's a very famous model. Oh, okay. The implication is that she's a famous model. Okay, cool. Yeah, just because yeah. you're not the sort to get autographs from models doesn't mean that, you know, who are you to dictate what a little girl's aspirations should be? <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> and Marie was watching this sort of on and off with me. She did point out the perfume. Did you note the name of the perfume? No. Petrichor? Ah! I didn't notice that. Which I forget the exact circumstance of why that word is important, but Amy has to remember it, or they explain what it means, it being the smell of the earth after it's rained. And it's a very important Ah. definition, and it's a very important word in an episode. I've forgotten exactly how, but it's a nod back to something. Does that mean that she's not actually a model? She has made up this perfume? I don't know. Has she named it? Because the slogan is also oddly relevant to her. I didn't actually spot the slogan. What was that? For the girl who's done waiting or something like that. Oh. Yes. Maybe it is meant to be her Maybe, line of yeah. perfume. Maybe she's famous enough for something else and has released a perfume. Marvel. Marvel and <laughs> kids books. Right. So Petrichor was to do with the doctor's wife when the TARDIS had a password and Amy had to remember it. Oh. Oh. Okay. okay. According to TARDIS Wiki. I don't remember the password bit at all. It involved things like 11-something Petrichor. Yes. There you go. Yes, and mm. we get to see the montage, and yeah, and that's how she remembers. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Did you uh, have an opinion about Rory in that scene? And how he was completely superfluous. And looking so miserable. Was he? <laughs> I think he was so secondary, I didn't actually kind of register he was there. I wrote Amy and Rory, but I just don't really picture him in my head. <laughs> it looked like either he still hadn't gotten over the Doctor just abandoning him, 
Bastard or, didn't <laughs> or possibly he just can't cope with his wife's success. Maybe. No one comes up to him in department stores and asks him for autographs. No, he doesn't run a multinational perfume they're company. Just hitting on her all the time and he's just thinking he's second rate. <laughs> <laughs> also, the doctor last episode, the big name statement of Amy Williams, that's completely gone. Oh, yeah. I know he calls back to Amelia Pond as the girl who waited originally, but even so, the complete reversal and erasure of what came before is quite noticeable. I think I must have missed this. Does the doctor say the Ponds or... He just says, Amelia Pond. Uh, oh, dear. Not Amy Williams, whose giant face it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's not no. a, a six or seven-year-old girl on the wall. No, it's not. See... Is this, I, I haven't actually looked into when this was written, whether it was filmed out of order, dropped out of order or whatever, but... It was. We were commenting off mic that this is coming back to the big arc after, I think it was four episodes, and it doesn't do it smoothly. So you're saying this is out of sync. I know that the one that was produced after this one was Let's Kill Hitler. Oh, really? But I don't know if Let's Kill Hitler is the one that's produced out of sync. Right. Or out of sequence, I mean. Hang on, I'm looking it up, I'm looking it up. Production order. Previous, God Complex. Next, Let's Kill Hitler. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's all over the shop. Oh, after which they produced The Wedding of River Song. So, uh, yeah, it is Let's Kill Hitler that's out of sync. So Let's Kill Hitler is actually even later. So that means that just as Moffat was wrapping things up, he thought the best idea, the best option available to him at that point was to invent Mel's and have that train wreck just take place <laughs> over 40 minutes of her incredibly cramped retconned lifespan. That's disappointing. Do you think so? Do you not think that he already had some of these things in mind? I think if he had enough of these things in mind, he would have thought to himself, well, this series, A, is the most spiderwebby string and jam four-dimensional game of chess that Doctor Who has ever played. It's taking place in two distinct blocks over two years or whatever, and so I'd better make everything match up super well in the end so that people don't tear it to shreds. And he failed. <laughs> Little did he know that. (laughs) (laughs) The Who Back When sleuths were on the case. (laughs) Yeah, I take issue. We also commented off Mike that some people have liked the lack of arc for a few episodes. I actually quite like arcs in my sci-fi show. But I feel like if you're going to do it, you need to commit to it properly. And we shouldn't have abandoned it for four episodes when we've had a massive break in the series as well. At the very least, if you do, and they did sort of with Bad Wolf, right? So if you do abandon the arc, at least drop little hints that, yeah. don't worry about it, we haven't forgotten about this. They right? have done that in these last two series, but it takes the form of, at the end, there's a completely pointless scene where the TARDIS console, the screen is showing a data file. Oh. And that's all it is. Yeah, And it's not enough. Because hmm. the way they had... Um I can never say her name properly, so I always call her Patch Lady, which apparently is how Kavarian. she's... Kavarian. Kavarian. She's apparently credited as Patch Lady for a couple of episodes, actually. Yeah, yeah the first few episodes. Yeah. The way they had her interspersed in a few episodes whilst you were kind of, like, working out what was going on, where she just, like, appears and, and Amy sees it and doesn't know what's happening, that's a nice way of doing it. it. It didn't always come off the right way, but I feel like that's a way of keeping people interested with the arc during the episode. It's not just, we literally, we finished the episode... Here's the arc bit. 
which is what drew you just what you're saying is is how they handled it in other respects like, yeah well while amy was the flesh that was a really good way of keeping a mystery ticking yeah over. exactly but all it's doing at this point is marking time until they decide to resolve it at some point yeah because i i've got in my notes it's in his notes where, where is it where is it where is it somewhere like right near the start the doctor mentions doing a farewell tour yeah yeah and the last episode i don't think we had any indication that the doc should be doing a farewell tour he's saying to amy and rory maybe you guys should stop traveling with me he's not saying i'm gonna die tomorrow i'm gonna give up everything well i'm gonna die but we're not back onto the ark at the end of the last episode we're still in traveling mode well the doc mentally is back on the ark and now he's giving you context for the end of the last episode and making it fit more neatly and better explained you think yeah i think this episode brings the last episode up because the first half an hour of this episode i went here at word said against it <laughs> wait 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 go on then explain the connection to the last episode explain that thing again the last episode, we felt that it didn't make sense, that he was just dumping Amy and Rory. But in this one, you realise that he knows that his death is very close, and he doesn't want Amy and Rory along for that final heartbreaking sequence, and that's why he dumped them. Okay, so I have one question and one point. The question is, why does he need to die tomorrow? Yes, I have that question too. There is absolutely... He knows when in Earth's time yeah. Lake Silencio, that event occurs, but he doesn't know how, like, Tomorrow, what day I mean, in his life What it does is. tomorrow even mean for the Doctor? I mean... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that word should not be in his dictionary. <laughs> yeah. But apparently it's a fixed point. As it is... Yeah, but it's a fixed point in... I know it's a relative fixed point in time, but it's also a fixed point with him and River Song on Derillium. Like, there is a last night they will have, after which... They can't fuck with any further tomorrows. So somehow tomorrow can just be invoked as a, a full stop. I don't know why. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'll take that point. Now a, a note. Gareth Roberts, the writer of this episode... Did he also write The Lodger? He did. And this is from Todd Wikia. He mentioned that this farewell tour has taken 200 years. There are two points of reference I can't remember. Oh, it's uh, how old the Doctor says that he is. At the beginning of this series when they're uh, in the American yeah. Diner. Bingo Bongo. So it's 200 years that he's been without the Ponds or the Williamses. And we get to see Craig. We get to see Craig. <laughs> and we get to see, <laughs> quote, the last day of these 200 years. It's not that he went like, oh, you know what? Amy, Rory, I'm going to die tomorrow. I'm going to leave you now. It's, I'm going to leave you now. I'm going to wander around for 200 years yeah. doing my thing with no companions whatsoever. Occasionally, I'll see you. I'm sure that there are a bunch of audio adventures. Does Matt Smith do audio adventures? I, if I not know. audio adventures, then novels of um, these missing uh, 200 years and the many companions he had in the interim. Yeah, anyway. There's, <laughs> okay. Doctor Who is a TV series. Like, they're spin-offs. They're it's primarily a TV series, Jim. No, it's only a TV. <laughs> like, that's great. That there are books and there are audio things, but you need to get the meat of it from the TV show. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we have not got the meat of it. We've got the end of apparently 200-year farewell tour, and it's with Craig in a department store with some fairly shitty Cybermen and a Cybermat and... No, no. <laughs> Just damn it, no. Those Cybermen are doing the best they can, Jim. It was a very serious crash. Yeah, well... I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're not scary. It's not funny. It's... I quite like the concept of the crashed Cybermen ship. Yeah. 
that idea could be fine. But isn't it quite a lot like, I don't know if the spaceship was crashed in Craig Owen's last episode, but there was also a hidden spaceship. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Gareth Roberts has absolutely recycled a fair amount of his prior oh, yeah. episodes, but not having remembered what happened in this episode from the first time I saw it, I don't think I've seen it once since it first aired. I was quite surprised and pleasantly surprised to find, oh, they're not like beaming up. They're beaming down. They're there. And now I, you know, it's a good explanation for it. And it's kind of a cool concept. Why else would they be underneath a fucking department store? Yeah. And it's cool that the doctor waves the Sonic all over space and says, I can't find the ship up there. But then he provides a reason why he can't that isn't the reason. As opposed to, but this is a Deus Ex Machina machine. It's a magic wand that should be able to solve absolutely every problem we have. Yeah, and he obfuscates with the usual, oh, I guess it's quantum double triple shield locked or whatever. But actually, no, it's a red herring. Something else completely has happened. But we think the show is so lazy. That cloaking device is made out of wood. Yeah, Yeah, there's just a wooden ship up there. We'll take that at face value. (laughs) That makes sense. That's classic Doctor Who. (laughs) What were we talking about? Uh, Cybermen. <laughs> I, I think they're good. I quite enjoy the Cybermen in this episode. I don't like the Cybermat, though. The Cybermat, I didn't know. I didn't get on with that. Have we had Cybermats before? Yes, in Ooh. Classic Who. Not seen since the fourth Doctor. <gasps> Revenge of the Cybermen? I don't know if I've seen that one. Pets of the Cybermen. Pets of the Cybermen. But we have encountered Cybermats twice on Who Back When in uh, Wheel and Space and Tomb of the Cybermen. Well, well. Do they have the human oily mouth? No, I don't think so. Oh. Are they? Do you think it's a human mouth? It's definitely like organic. It's organic, yeah. I love that, by the way. That's really cool. It's like <laughs> a mini Cyberman. I don't think <laughs> I they don't had know. that in um, in the original. I just I didn't really like how. I guess they're kind of creepy. I imagine a kid would be a bit freaked out by this little thing, and when it bears its teeth. Not the CGI version, though. Oh, God. That was so nice. Which is only in for, like, half a second. And so unnecessarily. And, and it, yeah, and it just looks terrible. <laughs> much, like, that half a second is one of the worst scenes in the entire episode. Much like Randall in the 11th hour, his her teeth looked terrible, and were probably the same CGI teeth. Interdimensional fish being. Yeah, the whole motif of the first half of that fifth series was sharp, pointy teeth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, I, Venice vampires. And, yeah. Well, what I was referring to, which I assume is what Leon was referring to, is there's a brief scene where it flies across the air and the entire Cybermat is CGI. Yeah, it's, it's flung onto the floor and it glides around and it's just... Inc- oh, yeah, no, it is on the floor. Yeah, you're it's right. It's incorrect. Like, it, it hasn't been properly colour corrected. Yeah. It, it looks really matte compared to the it's, shiny floor. It's, it's a just cyber really matte. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> And then it flies at his throat, and it's yeah. just really, really naff. Yeah. Monty Python and the Holy Grail did it better. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Their sharp, pointy teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to see that. I want to see the doctor fling a holy hand grenade out of Cybermat. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the other thing that bugged me with the Cybermat is it was never established that it's a real kind of powerful thing, or it's a really weak thing that's just zapping energy because at some points they're struggling to fight it off and they make a point at one point a point and a point point and a point repetition (laughs) leon gains a point to say that like it's low on power or something Mm. that's how they grab it the first time but i don't know it's just this wiggly thing and he puts a baking tray over it and is able to hold it but he's struggling to hold it in his hands where you could have a better grip 
and I don't know. It's just yeah. Why what the it, hell? How is it? How is it like approaching his yeah, face exactly. when he's holding it? Couldn't he just like hold it? The whole, what is it going to do? The whole thing is just pantomime. Oh no, it's eating me. No, it's but then again, oh, if, it, if it can fly at his throat, then maybe it has some sort of not levitation or jet propulsion or whatever. But maybe it can actually fly, and it is doing so towards James Corden's face. Yeah, no jet propulsion, but maybe impulse drive. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Then why isn't it? <laughs> Why isn't it nibbling their bums? You know, why, why isn't it more threatening in other situations? Well, I don't know. It's just, it's not well established. The and- doctor does say in that scene, you shouldn't have been strong enough to hold that back. And I think that is a half-assed allusion to it must be low on power. But it's not okay, sufficiently so it- explained, but it's not zero explained. But he, he also says, oh, it must be low on power because he caught it in the net in the first place. And then he holds yeah. it up and it literally powers down in his hand. Yeah. So... What, does it have a little engine in there? Does it have the power, the ability to to recharge its batteries while it's on the kitchen table? Now, what it's got is it is remotely, wirelessly transferring all the power it collects to the ship as the first priority. If it gets captured and it can't capture any more power, then it has to go to the ship. That's its prime directive or whatever. Hmm. Yeah. I just felt like it was nonsense. It could have been the thing that's up in the power. It could have been a clue of what's going on. He it was both those things. He could have rewired it to be something that could attack the Cybermen. That would have been fine. He why do we that. have he to have him? Well. Why do we have to wriggle around on the floor with something for three minutes? In later Matt Smith, I'm thinking the Nightmare and Silver double feature. Do they not have Cybermats there that work like the Borg in Star Trek? So if you encounter a Cybermat, it can implant you with nano cyber tech or Ooh, whatever. Do they? Do they not? I don't really remember. I remember Matt Smith having like a cyber thing on his face. Because he gets bored up. He, yeah, exactly. I remember eye patch stuff. Does he not play chess against himself and he has like a locutus of Borg thing on his face? Oh, cool. I, I, I'm, I'm freaking Googling this. Dude. Nightmare in Silver is definitely built around the concept of the Cybermen being able to upgrade at far greater rates than previously and actually being more of an evolving yeah. complex threat. See, this Bingo. is... Screenshot. Yeah, we have evidence of a future thing. Yeah, he's got a like a Cyberman thing on his face. I don't know if that comes from a Cyberman, but I feel like Cybermats, they haven't evolved properly new Who here. It's a classic Who foe at this point, but, but are, it should are, be made a new no, Who No, no, these are also isolated Cybermen. They've been stuck under the earth for hundreds of years. And I know Super that, good point, yeah. I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of when, which Cybermens came from planet, whatever, whenever, which blooming universe at this point at any time. But they I have take been it back, it's not a super there. good point. They have been stuck down there for bloody ages, though, without access to the main Cybermen so why continuity. Aren't they, so these should be older Cybermen. These are the New Who 2005 reboot Cybermen. They should the be Mondassian Cybermen. Exactly. Or not necessarily Mondassian, but they should be like the Tom Baker, oh, I'm, I'm made out of plastic. And you know what? There would be a lot more fan love for this episode yeah, were yeah. that oh, have been the case. 100%. That would get a couple of half points. Yeah. A couple of half points, maybe even a point. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> There's wiggle room in a couple. Yeah, there is hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is kind of leading on to my other issue with the Cybermen in this episode, is when Craig is being upgraded. Yeah. It's He's being rebooted. Like, it's, it's not like previous Cyberman this, conversions. No, this is not anything we've seen before, is it? That he's put in, he's got a chest plate around him already. He's got the headpiece while his head is still attached to his body and his brain's still in there and it's just kind of coming around and it's a terrible CGI effect that... 
No, it should. His, his big head would not fit in that little. Yeah, side th- of that, it. that effect is also it's <laughs> terrible because they're just changing the width of the image around his face. Yeah, and is that right? Yeah, it looks really bad. <laughs> it's no, he should be dead already, or they should have. In previous, uh, we've we've seen them cut the head off or have the helmet, like the empty Cyberman head, bite basically, yeah, being like a, chomp off an someone's head. Monster, yeah. yeah. Oh yes, that's in Pandora Crate. Exactly, yeah. Which, I, which is what I my brain kind of goes back to is like New Who Cybermen being creepy and threatening. That was them done well. This is them done badly. Those Cybermen two thousand years earlier than these. Also in true. Stonehenge. Well, we don't know how long they've been on this crashed spaceship. True, it could have been many <laughs> thousands of years. Sorry, Leon, you Do you remember say. the Cybermen in the Parallel Universe with Rose's dad? Pete Tyler. Yeah. The Cybermen there, they had like a factory that made Cybermen. And I'm sure you must have had the conversation like, oh, of course, literally everything except for the head is all robot. That's why they all look alike. That's why they're all the same height, etc. And they just had a factory that chopped yeah. off heads and plopped the heads inside the machine. I'll tell you what it is. They have such limited material on this crashed cybership that they need to manufacture the minimum force of Cybermen possible with the minimum components possible. You just need to cyberplate these people and go with that. And we'll talk about aesthetics and continuity later. I don't buy it. because I, I, <laughs> I don't buy it. And I think they could have added an element of, wait, here's the spaceship. Instead of it being completely intact, they've been using bits of the spaceship to build Cybermen. Yes. Or or they're not just stealing electricity, because what can you do with electricity? You can power stuff with electricity, but what are you going to power? You need to build the stuff itself. So maybe they're stealing metal as well, and various other, like various minerals and chemicals and whatever it is that they need. Or even, like, if he's going to stay intact so that he can have the power of love moment and get away from it all, just have him on a bed where they're doing, like, a mind wipe or something. He's not in a cyber outfit. He's not being eaten or the head isn't closing around him. They're just doing a cleanse of the body. But it's a vertical bed. He's leaning backwards yeah, on but something. It, but he's already covered in armour. Yeah, they're going to the, turn him into... The helmet is already trying to seal... Like, he's going to be... Just, he's not a regular Cyberman, though. He's a cyber controller. Or yes, cyber he controller. is. Yeah. Well remembered. And we've had a leader or controller, whichever one it is. We've had them before and they... In New Who... If I'm not mistaken, they look exactly like the regular Cybermen, except that their helmet has a black bit on it. And or I think or it, it's transparent it's, so that you can yeah. see the human brain I think in one yes, case. I think it's both. It. I think it is, one is controller, one is leader, and I don't know which one's which. Oh, right. There's possibly two different... I, I was I think thinking so. it was sort of darker, but it is translucent. Oh, maybe it's both. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's definitely cyber controller. Basically. I'm going to the Vindex. I didn't have a problem with him being intact. I had a problem with him reversing the process and being completely unscathed. Ugh. Like, well. not even a dent in his crushed cranium <laughs> yeah. at that point. No marks on his arms where they've inserted cyber wires or yeah, no, anything. No, no, nothing like that. No sickeningly long needles <laughs> pulling out of his body uh, of anything, you know. Uh, Got wires going in, wires coming <laughs> out of his skin. <laughs> oh, Wilfred. <laughs> Looking at the uh, Vindex, by the way, we have encountered both Cyber Controller and Cyber Leader, but I only have images from Classic Who up there. Cyber Leader, Black Helmet, Cyber Controller, <laughs> Traffic Con. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I would say that was more Police Bobby. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay. You made me think of something else that's annoying, which is that you see the full majesty of this enormous ship 
I get that Dicilium or whatever the hell is keeping the department store unawares up above is magic material, but that implies there's this giant hollow cavern across which you are seeing this thing rather than you should be just be seeing a bit of it and it should be mostly obscured and you should use your imagination as to what's back there. How did it get there in the first place? Did it crash and then over millions of years a mountain was formed atop it? Or did it crash and was there a crater which no one noticed? What, like, what happened? Yeah, did I, it materialise like, underground? I feel like Britain is fairly crater-free. Well, I mean... It, of, it, of, lar- <laughs> of large spaceship size, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Or did it beam into an existing cave? I don't know. They don't beam ships around, do they? No, they have a teleporter. It can't have been beamed because then it wouldn't have been damaged. Yeah, it has I, to have been a, a massive true. impact, which, again, looking at the ship, is not very visible. But, I mean, it's... No. Okay, where did it crash? Where's the entrance? You know, I, How did no one notice this what, thing? Colchester used to be an enormous, beautiful mountain. <laughs> And this thing gouged out the exact amount of earth that made it level afterwards. See, I I was going to give a counter theory that it operated like a drill because the engines got stuck on forward and it it just... Oh, oh yeah. They tried to slow down and they just kind of like gently got to the surface and then just burrowed their way through. Champs. and it just fell. Earth just fell in. perfect theories. (laughs) I prefer gyms, I can't say. I don't know why I'm trying to help this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Can I jump right back to the beginning? Please, yes. With the very first thing that pissed me off. Uh Uh-huh. That this entire setup for this episode, Cybermen aside, is the stereotype that a dad is a babysitter. He's not a parent. The whole thing is that he's proving that he can look after his son, his biological creation that he has responsibility for. And it's just... Okay, Craig probably is a bit of a shit and is struggling to look after his father, but do we have to do this all the time? Fathers, take responsibility for your children. You are not a babysitter. Anyway, that was my rant. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not jumping in on this? Okay, fine. Just me. I desperately disliked the moment of helplessness that... Craig's character just unloads onto the doctor when the doctor shows up. And says, oh, oh, everyone's making fun of me because I don't have a grip of the things. I don't have a grip of the situation. Exactly. exactly. Like, oh, what the hell is happening? Why are you having this meltdown? Is this the first time that you are being left alone with your child? This well, child was not born yesterday. No, exactly. I do think Soph is a bit of a control freak. Oh yeah, definitely. What she's putting on the fridge, she probably hasn't left him alone with Stormwind for five minutes. But it seems as though maybe she is that with good reason. He does not seem competent. He's just been playing football all the time and going down the pub. Yeah, and doing other lovable schlub activities. <laughs> Surely he has other friends and neighbours. He talks to his mum on the phone at one They've point. They just moved house, dude. Fine. He, the- all he's done is check that his neighbours are human. <laughs> They are sick of the baby crying through the wall. He knocks on the door. He rings the bell. He shouts through the letterbox. He leaves them notes. He never gets an answer. Poor Craig. But... But he puts on the baby Bjorn and runs to a Cyberman invasion force, for all he knows, with that kid. Yeah, and without a single milk bottle. The kid would be safer (laughs) on its own in the house than with robot aliens. He's so ignorant, he doesn't know that. I don't know, I can kind, <laughs> I can kind of follow his logic. And I, I see what the episode was trying to do with him counterpointing what the Doctor was feeling at the end of last episode, to jump on your bandwagon, Drew. Oh, yes, let's. Where <laughs> Craig is giving the Doctor that feeling that 
you know what? I am helping people. And actually the people who are along for the ride with me are helped the most. And they're the safest because he's saying like, I saw this happen last time. Loads of people died who didn't know you. I'm going to stick my ass right next to you because you're the one who knows what the hell's going on. And so he takes his some of them. And also there's a bigger picture here. These are aliens. These are things that could destroy Earth, potentially. Like, why wouldn't you try and help rather than cower in a corner with your child? Sure. Yeah, and also he's terrified that Soph will come back home, find the baby there. He's nowhere. How does he explain that? That's a very good point, too. (laughs) (laughs) Surely he knows when she's coming back. Well, she still takes him by surprise. Oh, that is true. That is true. Can I just say, as we're, we're probably past the halfway point at this point, still... What? No. <laughs> we haven't said one good thing about this episode. Well, I, I was going to say, over the course of this so far fairly negative review, I had already prepared a score for this. I've bumped it up a little bit in my head. Oh, wow. Hey! Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Not that much, though, Drew. Well, can I bring in some good stuff then? Please do. Because... I think, okay, there isn't that much chemistry between the Doctor and Craig in this episode, but there is a third element in the room. There is the baby. I think the baby is actually quite well integrated. We've had children who have just dull, mute... Think back to Night Terrors, when the kid was a huge subtraction anytime he was on screen. The baby sets up loads of jokes, and I think quite a lot of them stick. I like where the Doctor compares the whole human race to babies, and that, yeah, they're pretty much the same thing, and you can do this on an unintelligent species once, and then he immediately does it on Craig, and it works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that. But that's because this baby is not given a chance to act, <laughs> right? <laughs> no. If this baby were, let's say, I mean, just five years older, it would ruin this episode. You think? I was hoping that Craig and Alfie Owens could make a comeback in Whittaker's next series. Sure, I'm up for that. Yeah, why not? CGI Alfie. What? yeah no i think you're right it does make a good vehicle for commentary on i do like the reference to humans being like babies in the doctor's eyes Mm. that's why he takes a human with him because everyone enjoys interacting with a baby (laughs) (laughs) that's so Um, good yeah and having stormageddon called stormageddon dark lord of all exactly yeah that's hilarious and the doctor giving him a voice piece and it's just nonsense like it's just an opportunity to be nonsense and uh, you know that's fun I would not question that. That's fine. Yeah, I agreed. Everyone else is peasants, according to Stormgate. <laughs> there is one negative point, though. I suppose uh, maybe there are a few. Which is that Soph goes away at the beginning of the episode, returns for the closing scene, exactly like Claire did in Night Terrors. Oh, very true. It's like, okay, fine, she makes an appearance, but does it have to be so similar? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot about Claire entirely. Is that a recurring thing in general with Doctor Who? Or New Who? I don't know. Where there's some other party that isn't really involved. They just kind of slurp in at the beginning and the end. I don't know. Can we think of any other examples? No. Hmm. I think it's just an indication of it's simpler if you get rid of one person. The counterpoint is that that should be done because there have been a number of episodes in this series where it's been like, we've got one companion, too many. And Doctor Who lends itself to a sort of dual protagonist story and that third wheel is often exactly that. Exactly, Chris yeah. <laughs> So, actually, has it happened with Rory at the start? Before he comes along for the ride, does Rory dip in and out of the order? Possibly, and later on, Mr. Pink. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. When she goes off on her, like, secret missions. Yeah, definitely with him, actually. I also think mm. in Classic Who, I can't think of a single example of this now, but I think that on occasion we have serials that end with some character already previously introduced showing up just in time to see the TARDIS dematerialize, just so that we can end on that, oh, wow, let's never tell anyone about this scene. That kind of closing joke. Which is Closing kind of, joke. Which is quite sim- which is quite similar to this, whereby she shows up, kid says doctor, Aw, Alfie Freeze frame high five credits. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wouldn't it have been so much better if it had been Alfie's testimony that River was reading? Like, I, I, I guess we, oh, nobody can remember yes. what they did as babies, but with the Doctor, it would be different, right? It would be different. And so, yes. Yeah. Case file. River is riffling through it, <laughs> reading all the stuff. Instead of the Doctor having to stand there awkwardly and just say, I'm honestly not a threat to you. I'm going to dump some exposition on you now. Did you also think that maybe those three kids were going to grow up to be someone of significance? Not of significance, well, like UN but. UN Secretary like, Generals or something. Yeah, or someone that we've met in New Who. Because no. we have adult voices. No, we don't have adult voices. We have those kids' voices. Don't no, we? they're adults. They are adult voices. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. See, I heard the adult voices, and alongside them was just screaming in my head. Like, <laughs> what is happening? This is so terrible. <laughs> By the way, is that the same street where Donna Noble's head kind of explodes? Is it? Oh, maybe. <laughs> Do you know that scene? Do you know the scene I'm thinking of? When she to Cardiff. Yeah, when she suddenly just, she remembers the Doctor, or she realises that there's something sci-fi going on, and she has her first overload, like the EMP basically comes out of her brain. Yeah, I think I can picture Tennant running around that corner as well. (laughs) There's only so many streets you can film in. But they already closed down a department store for this episode. Because that was, that street is in Cardiff. Right. As in not Colchester. Anyway, yeah. So we have a little cameo in this. Oh, yeah. From Nurse Gladys Emanuel. Is that who that is? Val? Yeah, yeah, Val. Wait, who? Nurse Gladys Emmanuel from Open All Hours. I know few words that you just uttered. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Podcast Land might appreciate that. They probably spotted it as well. But I spotted that. And I have to say, I didn't really like her character, to be honest. Oh, Uh, who was she? Was she the uh, older lady? Yeah, so she was the old lady that worked in the department store and assumed they were a gay couple. And of course... She was totally okay with it, but we can't have them being okay with it. <sighs> yeah, uh, no. one hey, of my last on. notes is, oh, isn't being gay embarrassing? Yeah. No, 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 no. I watched that scene very closely for okay. this reason. And James Corden kept a smile on his face throughout. He wasn't like, oh, no, no, oh, no. What, why would you think that? He was smiling. He was laughing along with the joke. He wasn't mortally offended by it or even embarrassed. He was just like, hey, doctor, isn't this silly? It was yeah. that sort of tone. Okay. I guess okay. no. I didn't. I didn't notice that. I did not analyze that scene very closely because <laughs> I was looking for a negative there, and I honestly didn't find one. Okay, I think it just bothers me that it has to happen be in the a, first place. A joke and an assumption from a character. Yeah, that closing scene seemed less strange to me than the one where Corden shows up with his baby Bjorn and baby uh, Stormzy and just goes, here, take my baby, in brackets, because I'm going to go fuck my partner right now. And she's just like, yeah, of course you're going to go yeah. fuck your partner right now. I'll hold out to your baby in this closed department store. Yeah, go fuck your partner. Don't worry, I'll give you ten minutes. I'm not going to ask questions. Yeah, I didn't want to see it anyway, but go fuck your partner. I don't know you. I don't know this child. You don't know me. But you can trust this complete stranger uh, but, with your offspring. But everyone does know and trust the doctor during this. He's been doing the rounds and is super chummy with everyone. 
That I like too. What I loved was when the doctor said the exact same things that Craig said to George, to Kelly, to whoever. And their reaction is completely different. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's good. It strangely makes me think of Elf. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Well, because it's a department store. Because it's a department store. Yeah. And just the idea of winning people over through... <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've imagined the doctor has done an incredible toy setup of Christmas in the toy department and everyone... Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And he has met Santa, sort of. Santa, I know him. <laughs> yeah, and I also loved Craig cornering Kelly in the lingerie section and just how badly it went. And Kelly's quite legitimate, fairly realistic yeah. reaction to him, like, you are, what is happening here? <laughs> yeah, George, George, George. George. <laughs> oh, poor George. Yeah, that is pretty good. That was sad. <laughs> oh, yeah, poor, poor Curious George. George. Oh, yeah, he dies. Presumably. Actually, yes, that's a point. Are the Cybermen surrounding them at the end Shona, George, and someone else? Presumably, but we never... See, that's another thing. If they're replenishing their ranks, I would like to see evidence thereof. It seems otherwise as though they're just there gathering dust for however long, and Cybermads are just around charging their batteries, and that's it. Like, their body is on ice somewhere. And, okay, I'm not sure if they do know it's the Doctor straight away, but he gets knocked out, and they just leave him there. That's failure number one. Wait, when do they knock him out? When George gets taken. Yeah. Ah. So Doctor is flat out cold, and then he comes around and Craig's looking over him. Oh, yeah. George is gone. Cyberman has dragged George away, left the Doctor all alone. And they know who he is. They know the threat that he poses. Well, either they don't, and it's, oh, here's another body, I'll take this one. Or they do, and they think, here's the Doctor, better get rid of him. But no, neither of those things happen. Yeah. And then in the whole scene that we hate, where Craig is being turned into a Cyberman, yeah. the Doctor is just there in the background going, just feel the love. Look after your son, Alfie. Break free of it all. It's like, just one little cyber fist around the mouth. You know, yeah. <laughs> step one in stopping the Doctor, stop him from talking. Yeah. No, they want him to keep talking because he just gave away his plan to use the Cyberman against them. So they think if we keep him talking, he's going to incriminate himself again and give us the clue we need to thwart his next plan. That, that really? annoyed me a lot. Yeah, yeah. A also lot. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, I just... <sighs> okay, I've got a historical question. Okay. Were people worried back in 2011 or welcoming the possibility of James Corden being a companion? Well, we're going back in history a long way. Yeah. Is he not a companion? As in, is it not said explicitly that he is a companion in this episode? That's also Val one of my says notes. It, but his name doesn't appear in the opening credits. That's true. And but Amy's what? and Rory's do, do, and they appear for 20 seconds, and yeah. Rory doesn't have a line. Oh. <laughs> Does a companion have to travel in the TARDIS? What is our criteria? Are we saying credits is a companion? It seems to be some mixture of credits, TARDIS, and fandom consensus. Yeah. I don't feel like he is a companion on any of those scales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that. But it seems as though the BBC, with this episode, is trying to say, well, he's a companion. We'll have this little mm. joke as an excuse to say it. But yeah, we're saying he is a companion. I feel like I would have remembered the horror <laughs> of the thought that he was going to be a companion. Yeah, I don't really, think... the horror? Because I get that he's a bit more peevish in this episode, but he has a baby that he clearly has no idea he's, how to take care he's of. He's also it. a bad actor. 
Yeah, he is. He, he's, he's a worse actor in this one than in the first one. I no, quite enjoyed is. him in The yeah, Lodger. Yeah, which I, I think this is where my mixed memory happened. Because like, I was really expecting to hate The Lodger when I rewatched it, and I totally enjoyed that episode. I'm sure there were some problems with it, but he was not the problem. And yeah. as we said before, him and Matt Smith had a lot of chemistry, and there was a bit more of the kind of jokey, laddie stuff going on, and I thought I would hate it, but I didn't. Whereas in this one... They don't have the chemistry, and a lot of the time, he's just delivering his dialogue in a very flat or hammy way. Mm. He's a new father. He's very tired. He's probably like... Then he's act doing tired, it. not, yeah, not <laughs> flat or hammy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. You got <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but it struck me that Eyepatch Lady, at a particular point when she said some dialogue, was Jenny a.k.a. a genetic mutant, from an episode of Red Dwarf. So I, look, I looked her up, and she bloody well is. Nice! <laughs> so this episode, I think, is 20... 11. 11 still. And that episode of Red Dwarf was 89. And she is recognisable. Wow, nice one, Francis Barber. Yeah, not bad. Mm. Well done. So that was, that was my <laughs> trivia. I, I'm sorry if I've said this trivia before. Was it the look on her face, or was it the fact that she's been delivering lines the same way for two plus decades? Or does she it, wear an eye patch in Red Dwarf? No, it, it's one particular thing, because the episode of Red Dwarf is from series three, it's called Polymorph, and she literally says, I'm the genetic mutant, and has a really kind of manacle grin on her face, and then it does a fairly terrible effect of it morphing into the polymorph creature, which is this hideous, weird green thing. And so it focuses on her mouth. And so it's the way her mouth phrases genetic mutant with a big grin mm-hmm. is exactly how she says something in this episode. And I can't remember what the line is, but it was just like, oh my God, it's her. <laughs> <laughs> there, you there you go. Red Dwarf is still on my list, by the way. If you like never watched? I've only seen random episodes of it. Dude. Dude, watch one to six with me and then stop. Okay, yeah, cool. Let's do that. Yeah, all right. I'm up for that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good Saturday. I also like the line about, don't they have off switches? No, I checked. Human beings. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I kind of felt like that was going to come back. I had a vague recollection. Like, maybe it was the shush thing. I had a vague recollection that he finds an off switch, but I think maybe it's just I think the shush thing. Sontarans. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the little back nipple. <laughs> yes. I like that thought Craig singing was just his version of crying because it was so bad. Yeah. Or maybe really good. Maybe Stormgood thinks his crying sounds awesome. Maybe, yeah. Thinks it's enough to command armies. I liked when the doctor says you need to get a papoose on because you're so slow when you're summoned. I thought this episode was bristling with good lines. I gotta say, there were certain bigger parts of it that were extremely weak. I now admit, but I thought there was a lot of work done on the script. It certainly wasn't underwritten. No, no, no. No, if anything, it may have been underdirected or underacted. Right. More so than underwritten. No, I don't want to credit the writing too much either. Like, it's not a great episode. It is by no means as good as the previous Corden one, but... There was so much of this. It's it, Okay, the whole alien twist makes it feel like less of an episode and more of a... My note here was, it feels like a webisode. It felt like... Oh, wow. Yeah, like it felt like... But this isn't a real alien plot, surely. Like, 
you put more effort into a Cyberman story than you do with this, right? Exactly. I mean, this isn't yeah. a real episode. This so is, you, you feel this this is like bonus so- content between actual episodes, between God Complex and The Wedding of River Song. You you have some like extra content yeah, this, for people. This is a five minute episode to say where he gets his hat and the blue envelope. The fucking hat. The fucking hat, which made me think of, all oh, right, so now we need, it's like the Indiana Jones, let's explain everything at the start of, which one is it? When, it we get to find out, when we know. find out where he got his hat and where he got the whip and everything. I was, thinking, I was thinking more of Solo. Where it's, it's, oh, Solo as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Here's the ship. Here's the dice. Here's the here's gun. Here's the jacket. Here's uh, the gun. Uh, 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 I know that in Holy Grail, there's the line, we call the dog Indiana. It might be Holy Grail, actually, when he's River Phoenix plays young Harrison Ford. Uh-huh, we get yes, to see how yes. he gets his scar on his chin and everything. You don't need that. You don't need that. But in this one... Yeah, you're right. This whole episode should be called How I Got My Hat. <laughs> I thought that was the best part of the foreshadowing. I gotta say, the whole Kavarian River Song scene after that for me was where it fell down. I like because bit, then I they like start singing nursery rhymes. Yeah. I think it's hard to pick it all up again. And I appreciate they're probably not on Earth, so River hasn't been told to forget the silence and stuff, but I don't know. Just resurrecting them as the foe that we should be scared of. Again, when we've had an episode that effectively killed them off. Like, oh, I d- yes, I d- yes. How long ago was that? It was like six episodes ago. Or so. It's just, it's such a weird thing to jump back into. I think that was 10 episodes ago. I think that was Day of the Moon, where the Doctor revealed when Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon yeah. and said, kill them all on sight, which, you know, is just a license for genocide, but whatever. That was 10 episodes, including a hiatus ago. Yeah. Wait, hang on. Did I miss a twist? It just dawned on me that I may have missed a twist. When we were at Lake Silencio the last time, I'm sure we must have said, but she's a tiny little girl inside an adult spacesuit. Is the rest of it all just like robot padding that's walking around with her in it? Yeah, because they found the spacesuit afterwards and she busted out of it, but it was little girl-sized, we thought at the time. So the twist here is that actually it's adult River Song in the suit. Yeah. Bingo bango. Okay, let's wrap up everything outside of River Song because I have so many questions about the whole River Song finale here. I think I might be done with the rest of the episode, like just in general. <laughs> okay, heads exploding a la Kingsman, you ride and partner, feels like a webisode. What did people think about the lift dematerializing and the doctor saying, Craig, I love you, I look into my e- face? hated e- it. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it too. <laughs> I can hold your hand if it make you feel more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the doctor's lips puckering yeah, from side yeah. on. I mean, I never knew Matt Smith's lips could do that. I think that's why they cast him in the first place. Probably. That and his chin. Can I you mean, please can you, can you kiss someone in profile? <laughs> yes. You got the job. No, that's a wonderful it scene. It might be Bonnie Tyler. It might be James Gordon. <laughs> Not Bonnie Tyler. Shit. Billy Ocean. What's her fucking name? Rose Tyler. <laughs> Billy Piper. Billy Piper. <laughs> there you go. It might be Billy Piper. It might be James Gordon. <laughs> I got there in the end. Oh, Could have been Billy Joel. <laughs> I'm not cutting any of that. <laughs> See, I generally kind of, when they throw in this kind of gay jokes, my yardstick is if you were to swap Craig with a woman. Mm-hmm. And assuming it's not Amy, because there is a weird dynamic there. If it was just random woman who had appeared in a previous episode of Doctor Who, that wouldn't be a funny scene. 
it would be creepy. The doctor going, I'm going to kiss you. It would not play out the same way. I see that. So why is it funny? Yeah, but... Oh, okay, no, sorry. You were going to say something. I guess it's funny because we know that Craig is happily married, apparently entirely heterosexually. Yeah, but, but you that can apply also character context, all right, but that doesn't always fly. That is so, a lesbian. Yeah, so let's say it's Bill, for example. Okay. Yeah, who is a lesbian character. If he were to do that with Bill, that obviously wouldn't be okay. Why is it not okay? So, yeah. A, it's definitely on everyone's mind right now. There are two hashtags associated with why yeah. that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Well, at least. Yeah, but like two major hashtags. Yeah, absolutely. It's in the public consciousness right now, specifically. Finally. But then, okay, is it also possibly a physical strength element as well? James Corden is a heavy dude. He's been described as physically strong. Possibly not yet in this episode, I'm not sure. Well, if not in this episode, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but I mean, either it's not yet in this episode, oh, or it I has see, already see, happened in this episode, Sorry. with the Cyberman, I mean, when he's holding Cyberman. But if instead of James Corden, it were someone whom physically the Doctor whom Matt Smith could physically overpower, then absolutely would no longer be okay because then you could imagine that, okay, actually, this character would feel threatened. But there's no moment in the scene where you feel that James Corden might feel threatened, right? I also feel like it's harmless because it's completely temporary and the Doctor is trying to stop James Corden having a brain aneurysm. Now, if Bill were put in James Corden's place, I know Bill would be able to take turning around and be like, what the fuck is all this lot? So yeah, it has to be someone we, other than Bill. It's the fact that we, the audience, have seen that actually this is just a distraction ploy by the Doctor. That's yeah. what makes it fun. There's well, zero threat, that, there's zero anything. How much did Craig see from his previous experience with the Doctor? Because like, he had a spaceship on top of his flat. There were people going up there to die. Like he's, yeah, that's he's, a really good point. He's been exposed to stuff already. <laughs> he doesn't need this distraction technique. I don't know, no one around the Doctor gets this distraction technique normally. They just have to might it actually get on with be, this stuff. Might it actually be better if he doesn't distract him? Well, probably. There's a Cyberman approaching. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just going to stand there and get zapped. or I don't know. It doesn't play out very well in, in my mind in general. And I could kind of get the humour. In some ways, I like actually that Craig is a little bit confused by it. And Matt Smith isn't a bad looking guy. He's a bit funny looking. But if he approached me and was being all commanding like the doctor and went in for a kiss, I might be kind of like, oh, wait, do I want this? No, I don't think I do. I don't think I do. No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you might get a bit flummoxed, but which is the way Craig plays it. And that, that I kind of get on board Rather with. Rather than but... having an aversion to homosexuality. Exactly. Stop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But in the context of this episode where we have Val being really thick on the <laughs> you're a couple thing. And it's not just an accepting that they're a couple, it's mentioning it in every single line of dialogue. And then this is in there as well. And I, it's just I, I didn't react much. as badly to this as I did to the end. Maybe if I rewatch the ending, I will read it the way that you did, Drew, and I, I will pick up on something in there that I, I missed the first time around. But to me, the ending mentioned of the two of them being a couple, that okay. seemed like ham-fisting, let's make a gay joke, you know? Mm-hmm. But the spaceship scene did not feel like that to me. Fair enough. Okay. What else have we got there is an arc. Exploding heads. Kingsman scene in the Cyberman ship. I didn't like the Cyberman ship exploding. First of all, well, all did the, the heads, heads have, exploding? Yeah, all the heads have gone. All the heads have exploded by the point they're in the teleport. Why then does the rest of the ship explode? Because there's only six of them. Yeah, and the heads have caused no damage to the surrounding yeah. set let alone the people supposedly fleeing for their lives in very close proximity to these exploding heads. So, yeah, why is the ship going up as well? 
And I don't understand. Why do they even explode? Okay, this is why Craig escapes because he overpowers the emotional restraint thing. and That's one thing. Yeah, which sucks. But that creates some feedback which then affects all of the Cybermen. That's are, a pretty shitty setup, are they, cyber people. Are they feeling <laughs> his emotions or are they suddenly feeling the, their own emotions? The phrase I have written down here is emotional influx. And then I think the doctor goes on to explain it's all the emotions that They've they can't holding feel. Back. Or, I, yeah, I, I don't know if it is implied that, yeah, it's, it's the people that were those Cybermen. Again, in the Parallel Dimension one, Rise of the Cybermen? Age of Steel. Being a bongo, thank you. There is one scene with a Cyberman who, who has like a chip that holds back the emotions and that chip gets damaged and all of a sudden that Cyberman, or Cyberwoman maybe, can't remember now, has this holy shit, what am I doing in this metal body? Oh my goodness, I'm a monster and I can't even die. There's nothing I can do. Yeah, and we have a million dollar Cyberman situation. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Whereas nothing even remotely similar happens in this one. I listened back to a previous Who Back When review we did. Which one? Possibly Doomsday. Okay. Does anyone remember Cyber HR Yvonne? Yes. And uh... she's relevant in two ways to this discussion. Okay. Yvonne is the one who cries oil. And she says, I did my duty to queen and country. As her emotional inhibitor is overridden, and she starts taking down the Cybermen from the inside. And in that review, we were like, what precedent is there for us? How the hell has this happened? And we sort of have that idea resurrected here with James Corden. Like, if you just hold on to something enough, the Doctor should have been yelling at James Corden, think of the Queen! Think how much you love the Queen! It's worked before! (laughs) But he didn't. But yes, the emotional thing, that didn't destroy her, clearly, to retain some emotions, so... Why are they clutching their heads and exploding? There's no... I uh, yeah. There's no... I know, I know this isn't from this episode, but it's bugging me. So, was she actually part of Torchwood? Or... I forgot what the setup was with that thing. I don't remember at all. I look forward to re-listening to it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we never reviewed Torchwood. <laughs> Maybe oh, we, we need to. We still that. need yeah. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. One episode, one episode. I'm going to make a final couple of pleas for you to up your score. Yeah, I already have, by the way, but I will up it even more, okay. if you're successful. I have a note, which is what Matt Smith is talking to Storm and he's just holding him. Stormzy. Stormzy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my note is, old, weary, grim, Smith, good. No mammary glands, Smith, good. Sinister bleeping behind me, Smith, good. I thought he was great in three different ways in that scene. And then mm-hmm. he's holding Stormzy and he's got to get out of the house while holding a baby. Giving the doctor a baby to hold is an incredibly simple yet enormously effective peril. He has to be gentle but decisive and doctory. And I really liked it. Yeah. 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 I haven't upped it any further. Okay. Do you have more ammo? No, there was one shitty thing that I forgot to mention, which is that, you know, the, the psyllium bonding or whatever it is yeah. and he's talking to kelly in the shop afterwards and saying well that's why the uh, shop hasn't exploded or fallen into a massive hole yeah. he left the door open when he went down from the back of the changing rooms down that tunnel that bonding has not been resealed the explosion should just have gone up through there and set the building ablaze <laughs> <laughs> how does he describe that mirror door again because it's, ah. it's a mirror it's been disguised as a wall. How clever. <laughs> That's not fair. That's cheating. Yeah. That was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a piece of wood with a mirror on it. 
That's not disguised as anything. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe why would maybe they... another day I would like this. I don't know. <laughs> why would they make their way up into the department store in the first place? Because they... Why make that they giant hole? Dug at a 45 degree angle and it's the first thing they hit. Yeah, they can't dig at a 90 degree angle. Clearly, Cybermats can't just impel themselves through the air. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. And they, they have no teleportation technology. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Why even make a hole? Is it, is you it need a target. You, need, you say, need an endpoint. Do you have, you to have get, a lift have that's a, been turned into a teleporter. Yeah, I'm not sure how. But Do they have to put something at the other end? It's like once you've connected two points, you can teleport between them. Exactly, Jim. It's a rock climber. You have to put the things up first. Otherwise, you're just free climbing, and that's just dangerous shit. So they make their way into the changing rooms. Oh, we've got to hide this. Hang a mirror over the hole and then sneak into the lift and teleport away. Yeah. Because they've hung that mirror from the outside. Well, they've turned it into a door, haven't they? Oh, oh, yeah. Hinges. yeah. Why are the hinges on it? <laughs> what, you think hinges are beyond Cybermen? Yeah. Cybertech? Clearly Terran technology. <laughs> the other thing is, going back to the previous two-part of Cyberman thing with... I think it is Torchwood that's involved. Yeah, yeah, the well, Torchwood... I forget all the names of the episodes, but... With the Battle of Canary Wharf. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first time we see them is a very similar, like incredibly similar setup where they're in a closed off part of this office block that's being renovated. Wor- yeah. On, yeah. And they're behind mm. sheeting. Yeah. Uh, this time it's behind a curtain. But the first time round, it is super creepy because it's this abandoned part of the office and you, you're wandering around there and not expecting there to be anything. And there's a Cyberman. This is in some changing rooms that a load of people have been in and out of, presumably throughout the shopping day, without any problem whatsoever. And because yeah. it's after hours, now the Cybermen know to come up and be creepy. The Cyberman is a subtle, ingenious scouter of the terrain. But, but it's there when there are people running around, uh, walking yeah. around shopping as well. Nipping around the toy department. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's also very sneaky. Future Drew back when here with a suggestion. Why didn't they have the Cybermat roaming around the toy department just get picked up by a child there who then put it down out of sheer boredom thinking it was a crappy toy? Let's hear what Leon thinks of that suggestion. No, Webisode material. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Jim, have you got any more points before Leon launches into the next diatribe? It's not a diatribe, I just have questions. The next diatribe of uh, questions? No, let's, let's do the <laughs> questions for River and the Ark. Okay. <laughs> so, River Song knowingly has changed her name. No longer Melody Pond. And when she is addressed as Melody Pond, she goes, How do you know who I am? A. Why has she changed her name to River Song if she doesn't know the reason she had to change her name? That's baffled me, that question. Why is she Dr. River Song? Why does she use an alias? So, last time we have seen her. She was Merle Pond. She regenerated into the river body that we know. Yeah, let's kill Hitler. Still Mel's, yeah. She tried to kill the Doctor and failed. And how does that end? I think the Doctor won her over breaking through her programming by being especially wobbly that week. This is Let's Kill Hitler. This is the end of Let's Kill Hitler. Does she just leave? Does she escape on her own? So are you saying she is using an alias because... She tried to kill the doctor in Germany. Well, this is what I'm, I'm trying to piece together is the time frame. Is that the last event that was kind of significant and she's kind of on the run? Yes. From does her she need, former she brainwashers. Yeah. Because she's failed the task that she was programmed to do. And she's also repented of it. Yeah. 
Okay, so in that case, if you're saying that she is using an alias because she's on the run from Kavarian and Co., she should know Kavarian and Co. I think Kavarian makes a point that because of don't the silence, try, she can't. don't try and remember us, or or you will. I can't remember. She just says something along the lines of, "Yeah, like, we took care of your brain." Yeah, you, you kind of know who we are, but you won't really know who we are. I think there's definitely some mind manipulation in here. Like she was brainwashed from her birth. Yeah. So okay. Remember, she was abandoned as a young child in New York and went from there. So presumably, all the brainwashing happened before that point. Oh yeah, definitely. So she's not going to necessarily recognise Eyepatch Lady. And the silence, you just forget, because they're the silence. Sure. Okay. Again, this isn't criticism. I'm just asking questions to clarify the and situation. And we're just answering them oh, with a plomb. Huh. Plomb. And Brio and Panache and Pizzazz. The, the diary. Pizzazz. The diary and all the research into who the doctor is. Yeah. Uh-huh. In her diary, she already has an entry for Lake Silencio. She does. Uh-huh. Because I assume she's... Oh, shit. Wait. Now, where does the astronaut, her in the astronaut suit, fall in the timeline? She's a kid. Well, she was a kid also there. So did she write an entry for Lake Silencio when she was there? Basically, when we go back to Lake Silencio, there should be two versions of River Song there. One as a child and one as a grown-up. I don't think there is a version of her as a child. I think there should have been. Well, we met her as a child there. We did, but I think... I she think just Moth- isn't in the suit. I think but Moth she- is going to screw that up. I think it's going to be Adult River coming out of the suit, and then the Adult River we saw previously knows precisely what was going on when she held Amy back and said, no, this has to happen, because somehow it will be a fake-out of her shooting him from the lake. Yeah. I like how we're all guessing at what happened seven years ago, because we cannot we remember. remember at all. No. <laughs> Well, I sort of can't remember, so I'm... Oh, really? Oh! Jim, yeah, don't close? say anything, don't say Am I close? Can <laughs> neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I think there must be some element of it's not impossible to work out this important date. The Doctor, obviously he's a Time Lord, but he has a thing throughout most of this series with, like, it's flashing on the screen, like, this date is important, this exact time is important. But he only has that because his companions know about that date, Right. His but they never, but they never tell him that exact thing. Yeah, and they never input it into the TARDIS. The TARDIS is presumably accessing some external databanks. Yeah, and I think River is meant to have pieced together some stuff, but she doesn't know because she doesn't know why that date's important. I think in a world where uh, in a th- world <laughs> where three random children in where Cardiff, three random children in Cardiff, nay Colchester, <laughs> nay. Carry on. Where these three random children in Colchester have a chat in the schoolyard the following day. It's like, wasn't that weird with that stupid grown up in a cowboy hat who then dematerialized and no other children believe these three kids, but their stories somehow become documented so that far into the future on a different planet, River Song can read about them. Surely, if a few people see someone shoot a dude at Lake Silencio, that date will be pretty firmly documented historically. The TARDIS will be aware of it. If someone they, will have added a wiki page about it. Yeah, if, if Rory and Amy have ever been called upon in this oral history project, definitely. Oh, and that old guy. Canton. Canton Bumblefuck III. Because I, I was about to say, Canton meets older version of River. So if younger version of River happened to i don't know if she's it's not clear whether she's been able to time travel or anything yet but she might be in a time frame where she could have met a canton and canton would know her i don't know 
There could be research that is crossing over her already being part of this timeline. If grown-up River is there next to Amy, Rory, and Canton when the doctor gets shot, is that grown-up River younger or older than the River who's underwater at the end of this episode? Older. Older. Yeah. So she knows exactly what happened when she was underwater, yada, yada, yada. The River we see in earlier episodes knows a hell of a lot. Yeah. Okay, no, yeah. that makes perfect sense. She knows about as much as Tracy's diagram, which I am so looking forward uh, to getting going to through again. Yeah, yeah. At the end, I've never looked at it, never got a spoiler, so no? I, I'm really going to enjoy piecing it all back together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not convinced that it all holds up, because that's quite some undertaking. But I think you have to accept that River plays a lot of cards close to her chest. Yeah. Is that all your questions? Wait. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> Can I just then say once again how annoying the nursery rhyme is? Oh. TikTok glows the clock till River kills the doctor. Yes, we can see it. We can see it on screen. Don't ram it down our throats, for goodness sake. But if we sing like this, it's so very creepy. We got me Noun. <laughs> is the idea that Madame Kavarian sang that as a lullaby to Baby River or Baby Melody? Yeah, maybe, but she never thought about that last line until she was underwater, and then she's like, how could I have been so foolish? It was in front of me the whole time. Tip of my tongue. (laughs) (laughs) No, that rhyme has only ever degraded the episodes it's appeared in. Boo to whoever thought that idea, and whoever carried it out. A plague on both your houses. Yes. (laughs) Pox on you all. (laughs) Gareth Roberts, writer of this episode. Yep. We've encountered him on a number of occasions before. Gareth Roberts wrote Shakespeare Cold. Right. Unicorn and the Wasp. Your personal favourite, Drew. The Lodger. Planet of the Dead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> then The Lodger, yeah. then this, and he only has one left, The Caretaker. And these are all looked back on as humorous episodes, to one degree or another. Uh, <laughs> really the guy's shit. Shakespeare Cold, I gave that 2.0. Drew gave that 2.2. Nick gave that 2.0. Unicorn the Wasp, 2.1. 3.5. Marie gave that 1.0. I, I'm I closer his, to Marie with that one, I think. Planet like of the Dead, 1.1. 1.0. Marie, 0.8. Oh, shit. That's what Planet of the Dead is. Yes. Bam-bus. No. Lady yes. D'Souza, the, the fuck face. face. <laughs> exactly. Gareth Roberts. <laughs> and then The Lodger, 4.1 and 4.6. Everybody on, has a bad day. <laughs> on average, he's had a few bad days with Who Back When. Not with me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to see how this trend parlays into our current ratings? (laughs) Let's do that. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. So in the end, Alfie gave his dad a review of 10 out of 10. Is that what you're giving it, Leon? Jim? (laughs) You've been waiting so long to say that, haven't you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think the simple answer is... No. Jim! No, I am not. Leo? Uh, hashtag not my rating. <laughs> well, okay, I'll lead with mine. Please do. Right up until the last 15 minutes, I was considering rating this outrageously high. you <laughs> <laughs> oh, got okay. to say, I wrote that the gag count was off the charts. I thought the success rate was good enough. I thought the episode was actually living up to its predecessor and that James Corden, while a bit more complainy in this episode, was retaining just enough charm to cling to the right side of Amiable. And part of the reason I was happier with this episode than I remembered was that it turned out James Corden was still British 
surprised and flabby when I expected him to have been flushed out of the other end of his conversion process for the late, late show and American audiences by this point and to be all trim and slim and with perfectly coiffed hair and completely different to the lovable schlub from the last series. However, the last 50 minutes did happen. I cannot deny it. It was underwhelming in so many ways. You guys have made a myriad of good points. But I can't more than one third dislike this episode, so I'm going to give it a 3.3. What? Yes. <laughs> He's done it. He's done it. Something's wrong with the microphone. I don't know. It seems to be picking up the wrong rating. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Well, you know what? That's fine. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've got to be wrong sometime, Drew. <laughs> Jim, do you want to go next? Or do you want to go last? I'll go now, because I don't know what to say, really. <laughs> I just, that's a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, if I wait any longer, I'll just be like, ah, fuck it, zero. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> Read out the list of minis yourself. <laughs> I feel like I did actually enjoy this more the first time I, I watched it, but re-watching it today, I couldn't get into it. I could accept that some of the lines were funny, but I didn't laugh. I could accept that some of the setup and the Matt Smith with and in particular scenes were well put together, but I didn't suspend disbelief and let it bleed out to the rest of the episode. I just kept thinking, why is this a Cyberman episode? They're barely in it. They're shit. They've introduced the Cybermat and it's shit. And it's just everything's shit. <laughs> I don't know. But I can still get that there is a heart to it and not the heart that saves everyone because love conquers all just that there is something underneath so i'm not gonna go stupidly low i'm just gonna stay around the mark which i put down on my laptop to start with which is 1.8 leon is pointing at his own laptop (laughs) (laughs) he is okay would you care to explain why leon sure i agree with Jim. Jim. Yeah, yeah. Say it. (laughs) Sorry, Drew. I really feel like this was not a real episode, and then somehow it justified as canonical by then ham-fisting that finale to tie it in with the next episode, with the next real Doctor Who adventure. The acting was often below par, and I know that... Obviously, we we all know that Matt Smith can do better, but we also know that Corden can do better and that those two work better together on screen. They have done so in the past. They did not work for me this time. Similar to your argument, Jim, that there's a lot of heart here, I feel like it's the thought that counts. (laughs) (laughs) This episode tries a few things that are interesting and should be quite charming. I mean, the whole baby situation is often charming, but you can tell that they were trying to do a little bit bit more than they at least achieved with me as an audience member. I've already said I really liked the subterranean Cyberman thing, but there's so much that doesn't make sense that makes it... It feels to me like a chunk of this episode was... Someone won a contest. You know? <laughs> like an eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those three kids. <laughs> one of them got to design the absorber off. One of them got to write this episode. <laughs> but I like the idea, even though it hasn't been described. I would have liked to have this episode explain more clearly, rather than have the writer off-screen on TARDIS Wikia mention this, 
that the Doctor has been around for 200 years on his farewell tour. I would like to see him, you know, more haggard. And, and He is plenty haggard in this episode. Yeah, but I don't just mean that, oh, he's going a little grey in the temples. I don't mean that. I mean, I want him to have changed personality to a certain degree. If he's spent 200 years, he's given up entirely. I want that to show, and it doesn't. And had I not read that line on Todd's Wikia, I would have genuinely thought that, oh, well, he left the ponds last week. Yeah. Uh, and he left them because he's dying tomorrow, yada, yada, yada. But I do like the idea of stop noticing, just go. He doesn't want to get involved anymore. It's the thought that counts. That's a nice thought. I'm sorry that the execution, that's where it failed. Anyway, I originally wrote down 1.1 for this episode. Whoa! Wow. But over the course of this review, I have bumped that up to a mind-boggling 1.9. Nice. Yeah. I feel like you and me may have given this a whole point for participation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what? Your little summing up there has made me think that I would have rather watched 45 minutes of Matt Smith's Doctor sat in a pub with Craig talking about the last 200 years. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't that have been great? Yeah. Like, nothing else happened. It could have been, <laughs> just, a, it, it could have been a clip show episode where... <laughs> well, and Sophie can be there as well. Yeah. Include Very Sophie. Very good point. Yeah, Very good point. absolutely. Because yeah. she was one of the great things about The Lodger as well. Yeah. And maybe that is why this comes up short in comparison as well. Because she was missing and she helped flesh out Corden's character much more back then. Yeah. Do you want to reduce your rating? Nah. <laughs> okay. Listener minis? Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250. Or it would get out of hand. So let's see if any Podcast Land will back me up. Let's nope. see. <laughs> <laughs> well, first up is Trenton Bless. Hello, Trenton. Hey, Trenton. Trenton begins, I'm just going to say it right now, this episode is shit. Oh dear, Drew. <laughs> it's cringy, unfunny, and the Cybermen are beaten in the worst way possible. Need I say more? Oh, please go on. Okay, I suppose I shall say more. <laughs> Trenton continues, remember in my review of The Lodger when I said that the comedy came off as cringy at times? Well, they turned up the cringe to 11 here with people thinking the Doctor and Craig are gay. It's meant to be funny, but it comes off as cringeworthy. I give this episode credit for doing the whole thing with the baby saying he's Stormageddon, but for the most part, the comedy is so cringy and awful. Trending continues, the Cybermen are executed terribly here. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) I like the reintroduction of the Cybermats, but the Cybermen themselves were shoved into the background of this story, and they were defeated by the power of love. Are you kidding me? These (laughs) These are creatures that took radiation and chemical cocktails to defeat in the past. Heck, I'll even take gold clogging their breathing tubes as acceptable. But the power of love is an awful way to defeat the Cybermen. This is Doctor Who, not a Disney movie. Trenton concludes, this episode gets a 1.0 out of 5 because it's awful. And I hate how it makes everyone look bad at the end, especially the Cybermen. The only good thing about this episode was... That was actually kind of funny. Other than that, this episode is 100% skippable, with the exception of the closing moments with River Song and the silence. (laughs) The exact opposite of how I think. He adds, rant over... You are welcome. welcome. (laughs) Thank you very much, Trenton Bless. Thank you, Trenton. (laughs) I mean, if you take Trenton's rating and you add it to either Jim's or mine, you almost get your rating. Yeah. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) 
Ladies and gents, you are not Trenton. Follow Trenton on Twitter. He is at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two what chaps? S's. 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 That's right. Can we do that again? No. Jim! It's <laughs> <laughs> better not in time. <sighs> Next up, we have Michael Ridgeway. Ridgeway. <laughs> that's better. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Hello, Michael. Hi, Michael. Michael has, which might be spoiling whether he's going to be on your side or not, Drew, a thing he liked. <laughs> a singular. Oh. Thing. You'll notice I haven't said, love you, Michael, yet. <laughs> I see. You that's emotional that blackmail, Drew. Yeah, yeah, come on, Michael. <laughs> Don't let me down, buddy. <laughs> you still have time to send in a new mini for this listen. Okay, yeah. The thing he liked, which I didn't actually like, but hey, was the Cybermat and its gnashing chops. Mm. Oh, I was hoping it would be everything. That was my one hope. Oh, I see. No. Oh. That love is withheld. <laughs> he continues with a missed opportunity. Mall setting. There is a great 80s horror film called Chopping Mall. Yes, it is great. <laughs> About a mall that hires robots as security guards that go mad and kill everyone. I wanted it to be like that. That's a pretty good film, actually. Yeah? Yeah. And then the rest of Michael's review is made up of some uber beefs. Number one. And I'm only going to read out half of this one. The Cybermen continuing their downward trajectory to Nathville. It saddens me that the Cybermen are mere window dressing for the Oh, haven't Matt Smith and James Corden got wonderful chemistry bandwagon episode. But three moments really jowl. Firstly, the Cyberman visibly struggling to hold back the thrashing doctor. It's supposed to be made of steel. Steel plating? (laughs) There's just like a really weak dude in there. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That's Shona. I mean, I'm guessing she's less built than George because George was a bouncer. It's nothing to do with gender, you know, stereotyping, whatever. 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 Secondly, the cyber conversion. What happened to the gory buzzsaw conversions in Rise of the Cybermen and Age of Steel? Why wasn't James Corden's head just sliced off? Exactly. (laughs) We demand his head. (laughs) Bring me the head of James Corden. (laughs) Thirdly, I blew them up with love. Seriously, Rick to 10 on the vomit scale. (laughs) The Cybermen have come a long way in the wrong direction. (laughs) That was actually one of my notes, but we kind of covered it in a fashion. (laughs) Didn't want to draw too much attention to it. (laughs) So, entirely separate beef now. Moron award. The Doctor for warning the Cybermen about his plan with the Cybermat. Oh, come on. Tell me uh, that hasn't happened in Classic Who. I don't think it has. Really? <laughs> no, I'm sure it has in some way or another, but no, this was uber moronic. Next beef. Don't even get me started on the sonic screwdriver. Hmm. I wonder what he objects to specifically. Uh, it might be. Okay, well, let's finish this and then I have a bit of trivia. Okay, Michael continues. He won't even grace this review with a mention of the Seventh Doctor. He just says, Summary, <laughs> I want my license fee back. <laughs> and the rating is 0.8 out of 5. Broken promises of the Cybermen returning to form. Excellent. Excellent, Mini Michael. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I still love you, Michael. Wait, so Trenton's and Michael's added together is my score. <laughs> <laughs> This is quite incredible, actually. Yeah. <laughs> People are so much below us. The bit of trivia that I had from uh, the Toddis Wiki, I did very little research in the way of trivia, but here we go. 
The app, quote-unquote, for disabling the Cybermats used one of the bonus sounds found on the toy version of the 11th Doctor Sonic Screwdriver, unheard on the show until now, and in brackets, I believe since as well. I would hope so. So this is uncharacteristic even of the Sonic Screwdriver. And also, oh, maybe this is what Michael means, actually. There's a bit when he's controlling the Cyberman. It's as though the Sonic is shooting laser beams. Yes. Oh, yes. Actually, that must be it. That must be it. Yeah. That's bloody annoying. Okay. I had totally forgotten my massive negative point of I have an app for that. I think that could have been it to itself. Sparks. Yeah. Notwithstanding. All right. You guys all make good points. Okie dokie. <laughs> People who are not Michael Ridgeway, you can follow Michael on Twitter. Please do. He is at bad underscore movie underscore club. You should. <laughs> Chopping Mall is great. It featured on How Did This Get Made as well. Uh-huh. And it's featured on Bad Movie Club. Obviously. Which is another reason you should follow him. Absolutely. What do we have coming up? In the new channel, we have The Wedding of River Song. In the classic channel, we have Planet of the Spiders, Pertwee's very last episode. Yeah. yeah. And then following that, in the audiobook channel, we're going to have <gasps> The Eight Truths in the World Wide Web. Yes. Let's do both of those in one and the same audiobook review, shall we? Yes. Yeah, or one of the same podcast episodes. 1,000%. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the season two finale of The Eighth Doctor Adventures. Season three. Season three finale, even. <laughs> Thanks, Snagglepuss. <laughs> and it might well be the audiobook channel finale. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We also have some bonus episodes coming up very yeah. soon. We will have just another Who Back Winning Minute. That's right. And then Jodie Whittaker's New Year's Day special review. That's right. Awesome. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter. All three of us. Jim, you are. Jimmy the Who. Drew, you are. Drew back when? Me, I am. P-O-N-K-E-N, Ponkin. That's right. <laughs> Until the next time, thank you so much for listening. Rock on and be excellent to each other. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya. <laughs> Kablamo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode and lastly give us a rating and review on iTunes it helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points that's it rock on and be rad and excellent to each other catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode until then ciao ciao who back when he's knocking on the door and he's ringing on the bell poor James Corden poor James Corden Shout through the letterbox, writing notes as well. Poor James Corden, poor James Corden, poor James Corden, so misunderstood. Only I think both your episodes are good. I don't hate you though, they tell me I should. Poor, 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 James Corden. There you go. Bonus content.